Welcome back to another episode of Sips with the Tips, a podcast about savouring the sip, whether that's coffee, cocktails, whiskey, wine or whatever. My name's Nikki. I'm Daniel. And we are the Tips. Welcome back to another episode. Been a bit of a bloody roller coaster of a week this week. Uh, just stepping behind the scenes of the episode a wee bit. I celebrated a, a birthday earlier in the week on Wednesday. Uh, 32 years old. Woo! Didn't really get much of a chance to celebrate though, did we? Nah, we've been floored by the flu this week. It was pretty miserable, not going to lie. Yeah, we weren't very fun for a few days. It seems that... Uh a lot of people here in New Zealand at the minute are battling the flu, um, so we, we gave our hot toddy recipe a bloody good run for its money, didn't we? Yeah, it was put through the works this week. There is a little reel on Instagram of that recipe if you want to look at it. All you need is blackcurrant powder, lemon, honey, and a splash of whiskey. You've got to have that splash of whiskey. That really... Splash is subjective, by the way. <laughs> Brings the whole thing together. Uh, yes, it's been a bit of a weird week, but uh, I think even outside of that, though, we have managed to try a, a few delightful drinks. I was very lucky to get a few bottles of whiskey gifted for my birthday, so we had to had to give them a wee try. We've had two new bottles of Bushmills Irish whiskey, uh, both from the Steamship collection. We had a char bourbon cask that was a gift from your parents, yep. and a gift from well, I guess us to to myself. Uh, we got the, from you to you. <laughs> Daniel to... loves to give himself a present. <laughs> had the Bushmills Steamship collection port cask finish, which we'll talk a bit more about shortly. Um, also from my sister, finally got our hands on a bottle of Isle of Rasse, their inaugural whiskey release, and I was very, very happy to get that beautiful bottle. Um, as well as that, also got a new coffee brewer, which was very exciting. I said in last week's episode that was meant to arrive for last Sunday's episode. Didn't get here in time, but got here during the week. It's a fellow Stag XF. I've got a photo of that up on Instagram too. Bloody love it. Turned out a couple of great brews from that one already. And in fact, I think maybe we should start the episode with a. Uh, I feel like I want like a, a bell or a wee ding 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 or something. A we siren. Had, a siren. That's yeah. a bit dramatic Clacks actually. on maybe. Uh, we had two drooly faces added to the journal this week. The first of which was that aforementioned Bushmills Steamship port cask finish. Ficking love port and this port cask finish really carries those port flavors beautifully gave that a go what a couple of days ago absolutely in love with it and the other one we said we would do it we bloody did it last week's coffee the kushere grade one we did manage to get that to a drooly face just yesterday uh tried a new brew method really brought out the sweetness i think you can agree yeah that was delicious we had that first thing yeah the sugary sort of flavor on it was like you know when you have like a super ripe strawberry and you feel like the the juiciness kind of in the back of the mouth a wee bit it was like oh it was so good didn't quite manage to replicate it today but yesterday was like one of those all like that sweetness that makes your mouth all spitty yeah exactly exactly yeah it gets the salivation going it was okay salivation yeah that's the the technical term for spitty so a couple of fantastic entries into the uh the tasting journal this week we'll come Back to the journal shortly. Want to introduce this week's Sunday sip, and I'm hoping that this one here may also turn out a wee drooly face. A uh, bit about what it is. It's a whiskey this week. It's a whiskey that we are both a big fan of. One of Nikki's favourites, uh, favourite distilleries, uh, for that matter. 
It's named after the famous whirlpool on the north side of Isla in Scotland, which might be a giveaway for those who are connoisseurs of that part of the world. It was named the world's best single malt in 2010 by the World Whiskey Awards. It is a whiskey that is loved by critics and fans alike. This week's Sunday Sip Nikki is... Ardbeg Cory Bracken. So this is one of two constantly available Ardbegs bottled at high strength, mm-hmm. which is 57.1%. So it's a non-age statement whiskey and we also kind of struggle to find a little bit further information about like how it's aged. It's mm. not one that Ardbeg goes into a lot of detail about. Um, but from what we can see, it seems just kind of standard ex-bourbon casks and French oak casks. And it retails at about £75 or $150. So not too cheap. Yeah, it fluctuates in price a wee bit I found looking around online. But it's a... Uh as I say, it's a whiskey that is just loved by a lot of people. If you go read reviews on this one, people just, just they just wax lyrical about it. This one here was a gift uh, from a couple of mates that we house set for. Thank you, Kelly and Brooke, very much. Bloody good choice. Cat sat, technically. Cat sat, you're absolutely right. Uh, so we'll look forward to getting into that shortly. And this one here, if you know anything about uh, Isla Whiskies or Ardbeg Distillery, you know they are quite big fans of peat smoke. And that's going to form the basis of today's main topic, We're going to talk a bit about what is peat, who is peat, how is peat used, why is peat used. We're just going to have a bit of a kind of catch-all on peat. Why we're going to talk about that, we will come to shortly. First, Nikki, uh, can you give us a bit of a heads up on the news for later in the episode? Yeah, so we've got a couple good headlines coming up. We've got um, Diageo is betting on tourism and there is trouble ahead for Fene drinkers and also a record sale for a whiskey cask and lots more. As well as that, we're going to be uh, asking for your feedback once again. We've got a couple of questions lined up to share with you at the end of the episode. But a quick report back on last week's question, which if you did catch the last episode, we went into a bit of a deep dive as to how and why to keep a tasting journal. And then the question, quite simply, was, do you keep a tasting journal? The results? Uh, unanimous, no. It's <laughs> a big yeah. Seems no one gives a shit except us. <laughs> Maybe people just, they rely on their memories. they got memories like steel traps. The results out, out off the back of this was uh, 11% of people said, yes, I do keep a tasting journal, which leaves a resounding 89% saying no. I feel like we maybe missed a trick by maybe we should have asked, would you consider starting a tasting journal uh, after listening to that episode? But we didn't get around to asking that maybe one. Maybe people just, just aren't as big a dorks as yeah, we are. We just cut our losses and run. I don't know how people keep tabs on the drinks they like, but I'm sure other people have their own way of doing it. As I, as I say, maybe they've just got better memories than you and I do. But yeah, that was last week's question. Big thank you to everyone that did take part. Uh, As I say, there will be another question shared at the end of the episode and asked this week on our Instagram, which is at sipswiththetips. I'm going to go grab a couple of glasses. Let's get this Ardbeg poured out and get into today's sip. So as mentioned, today's Sunday sip is Ardbeg Corey Vrecken. Nikki mentioned that uh, getting information on this one here was a little bit hard. It, they're quite scarce with it on their website. With this bottle in particular, they lean a bit more into talking a, a bit about the story behind it and the, the fanciful kind of language that they use. Looking at the back of the box here, so it doesn't really tell us anything about the whiskey. It just tells us what the Corrivrecken is. So to the north of Isla and Jura is the world's second largest whirlpool, the Corrivrecken. This thundering, seething cauldron is named after the Viking Prince Brecken, who is said to have met his watery end there. And then it's got a whole story about how that happened and 
kind of about this whirlpool and all about why that relates to the bottle. It's quite fanciful, and we'll get back to that later. But uh, yeah, it doesn't really say much about what the whiskey is technically. Not not too worried about that because I'm quite into that. Yeah, I am too. Like it's one that, that they don't tell you what you should really be expecting or anything. They're just like, yeah, here's a story about it. Now just go away and enjoy it. It sets a tone for the experience that you might like have with it. Yeah, and you, you've drank quite a bit of Ardbeg whiskey. I know it's a distillery you're quite a big fan of, and that is something that they kind of they do quite well, isn't it? Storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Ard. Oh, I love Ardbeg as a distillery, and it's. One of the oldest, it was founded in 1815. And I think it could be one of the most famous Isla distilleries, actually, I think. It's got a huge cult following. And, mm. it, you know, the Ardbeg Committee is quite a loud and proud one. And it's it's one that it is a bit more like a... I say cult, but I don't mean cult in a bad <laughs> way. I just mean like when you get into that kind of slightly strange level of whiskey geek mm. where it's like you know the collectibles come into it all the art bag day releases that they have as well and the kind of event side it rem- it gives me more like comic-con kind of vibes oh yeah you know just that word you used about weird didn't they lean into that a couple of years ago yeah i think part of their brand positioning was like kind of like championing the weirdo and re- reallocating that ownership of the term weird to sort of be proud about it rather than it being something to to necessarily be insecure about because Ardbeg is a distillery that like kind of leans into its nerdiness and the complexity of it and the sort of we're not for everyone vibe Mm. and owns it. What I find interesting about that is like as much as they sort of lean into that weird like you know we're a bit different kind of thing and I guess this leads into our sip we'll talk about the packaging and things it's still very traditional, you know, like they haven't really changed up anything with even with that brand positioning slight realignment, like the bottles are dark green, the label's got that real sort of Celtic influence, it's the box is dark and mysterious and well, yeah, it tells this, you a bit about what they're going for, but there's nothing weird about it. This is part, like Ardbeg is at a point where it is in uh quite a point of change mm. in terms of its customer base because obviously they have their they have their Ardbeg committee which is like a, a global committee um, is that like people. a membership thing right it's essentially a mailing list right it's a really smart move to be honest because they get loads of demographics on their consumer base through mm. it but it's you know, they do committee releases, they do committee events, all this kind of thing. But their committee is your stereotypical, what you would imagine a whiskey consumer to be. So yes. like male, mid 50s. Yeah. That's who it is. But this kind of championing weird and moving along the vibe of that embracing these weird cults in a way. And like the nerdiness and leaning into that is them trying to expand into a younger demographic slightly. And you can see that with releases like Wee Beastie and with, um, I don't know if you saw the Ardbeg Day release this year, Ardcore. I did, yeah. Oh, that was, I even I'm a bit like, I don't know if I liked that positioning. It was a little bit like BDSM for me. <laughs> but there is this kind of like juxtaposition almost between these two directions that they're going. So they have this traditional Celtically influenced aesthetic that is what the existing consumer base like. Mm, mm. And then they have where they're trying to grow into be. And it's about balancing that so you don't disrupt the 
existing consumer base so they're still happy but how do you attract this new one yeah, and okay. i think we beastie is a perfect symbolism of that yeah it makes sense to me i suppose so uh moving on to our sort of our sunday set running through what we normally run through we talked a little bit about the packaging it's kind of from a knowing what the whiskey's going to taste like so we've already tried this one i should add uh we know a little bit what it's going to taste like and i think the packaging kind of captures that quite well would you agree oh yeah yeah. Like the box is dark and quite like brooding and It gives me kind of Swamp Monster and, vibes. Yeah, I think it, and this is kind of how they do most of their packaging, right? It sort of tells also, you a bit about how it's going to taste. Sorry, this is a complete side note, but see when you look at the Ardbeg A, the little curls on the edge? Yeah. Does that not make you think of Shrek's ears? <laughs> not, not, not in the slightest. Maybe it's because of how much green they use, but it makes me think a little bit of Shrek's little weird ears. No, not at all. Okay, well, I get that vibe. I feel like okay. Shrek would like Cory Brecken. Sure, yeah, he'd probably be a big odd big drinker if he, yep, if he was real. <laughs> uh, moving on to the Sorry. liquid. Moving on to the liquid in the glass. Um, thoughts? I mean, it's quite a dark colour. It probably doesn't really give away too much about what the liquid's actually going to taste nah, like. It nice just, golden amber hues. Yeah, it's, so this one here is a non-age statement, so we don't know how long it's been in the cask for, but like, just at a guess, I mean, it's probably a mixture, but at a guess, like eight, nine, ten years, like it's got a good bit of... Generally, non-age statements are between three and ten years. Yeah, it's got a good bit of colour to it, so it's certainly not young, Um but other than that, it doesn't give much away. It's, again, cask strength, so I'm expecting it to sit quite thick in the glass. How's it kind of running? Yeah, it does. Clings well, like swamp water. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Is this going to become a thing? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's uh, bring it up the nose, see what we think about the aroma. Just try not to breathe that in too much, because uh, imagine it's going to have a kick to it. First word that comes to mind for me is savoury. I get I like a, I get a little bit of sweetness in there. Like yeah, it, definitely. It's not pronounced, but it definitely, I suppose, for a, you, you sort of go to an Isla peated whiskey and you'd expect like, oh, I'm just going to get smoke and not much else. But I definitely do get a bit of kind of vanilla, butterscotchy kind of sweetness at the back of it. Like burnt brown sugar on the end of the nose. Maybe a little bit of like grassiness in there as well. It's kind of fresh. I'm a little getting, bit earthy? Yeah, I'm not getting a whole heap of peat smoke on the nose, surprisingly. Maybe that's more of a flavor kind of thing. Yeah, I don't find this is like pee in the face. It actually smells quite inviting. A little bit minty. Yeah, maybe like a bit of menthol. I get a little bit of fruitiness as well. It's kind of like slightly grassy too. Like it smells divine, don't get me wrong. I think it smells really quite lovely. I think should we just... Crack on. Bottoms up. Slancher. Well, not quite bottoms up. It's strong, remember. Oh yeah, peed on the palate in a big way. 57.1%, so it's got quite a kick to it. I ain't got to give it a chance to kind of sit on the tongue a wee bit. thing I like to do with peat smoked whiskey as well is kind of like get it down the hatch and then that breath in is where you really get that full intensity of the flavour. I that, love would that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'm really into that. Mm. Sometimes it can hit you a little bit too hard. <laughs> like when you start getting into the really heavily peated stuff, that can be a bit of a experience in itself. But that one there is quite, it's quite mellow, right? It's not like, it's not super peaty. It's definitely there. It's got it carries the flavour of the peat really well, and we'll come back to that shortly when we get on to our sort of main topic. But yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I'm not being assaulted by peat. Mm. It's like I've invited him into my home. 
I'm going to have another try of this neat and then uh, get a little bit of water in that and see yeah, what Yeah, see how it opens up. Because 57.1%, like we always say you should always taste the whiskey neat, but 57.1%, it's kind of hard to move past the burn. So we'll, well, you have tested it neat as well, but I'd say generally when something is cask strength as yeah, well, it opens up really nicely. It's the sweetness that I love of that as well. It's like sweet smoke. It's not, it's not a dry smoke. Yeah, definitely. And I can really tell that it's an Isla as well. Like, I'm just sorry. I'm so, kind of like trying to categorize this a wee bit. I'm getting quite like a brininess. Yeah. That, you know, that is typical of Isla whiskey. I suppose I kind of expect that going in, but it has got that slightly salty saline kind of sardine-y flavor. Sardine-y kind of? I wouldn't say sardine but yeah, I suppose, yeah, salty. I do get the kind of mint, like menthol kind of thing going on. Yeah, I like it. It's quite a complex one, isn't it? Like the flavors are kind of jumping out from every direction. Like I'm getting a little bit of sweetness from over here, a little bit of salinity from over here, a wee bit of like menthol, and then obviously the smoke's kind of the umbrella over the whole thing. It's quite like, I don't, my, my mind's kind of like, it doesn't know which way to go to pinpoint these flavors. This is coming from every direction. That's the beauty of peat. I'll get a little bit of water in this and see what happens. I feel like you get the mint more with a couple drops of water. Not mint, but that like kind of menthol, like cold feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was only there was only five drops of water each. We both added, and there's still a fair bit of whiskey in the glass, so that didn't really dilute it much at all. But I feel like that opened it up pretty well, right? Like I'm sorry, I have to keep like <laughs> like my mouth's watering like crazy. Um, you should see him; he's like drooling everywhere. It's like that. It's got a good bit of like barbecuey kind of like. Yeah. I wouldn't say hickory, but certainly leaning that way. It's got that, that sweetness is still pretty pronounced. It's got the kind of menthol-y sort of flavor. It just experientially, it, it sits really well. Got a nice texture to it. It's nice and oily. It's got that, as I said, that slight saltiness to it. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack with it. Mm, it's a really pleasant whiskey that. I don't think I've had this one prior to us getting this bottle. Have I think not? I think it's probably my favorite Ardbeg. Really? Ugadal is the other one we liked quite a lot, wasn't it? And what yeah, was I the one Ugadal. we had prior to that? Anoa. Uh, Anoa. Our big tan as well. Is pretty, we did like that pretty, quite a lot, pretty good. didn't we? Uh, but that one there, yeah, that sets the bar pretty high. That's that's delicious. Now, moving on to what Ardbeg talent, because we've kind of plucked flavor notes out of left, right, and center here. Uh, I don't think we've kind of You've got a consensus. You've listened to our ramblings, yeah. <laughs> we haven't got a consensus on what it should taste like. We've kind of like said, yeah, a bit of this, a bit of this, a bit of this. And I know they don't kind of hone in on any one flavor. They're quite fanciful in their language. But do you want to tell us a bit about mm-hmm. what they're saying we should be tasting? Yeah, so... I'm actually going to read this word for word because I'm off their website. website, Yeah. So I am a sucker for tone of voice, but like this, just it took me on a journey and I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to close my eyes and just absorb it. Absorb it. Okay. Hopefully my accent does it justice. So aroma wise, Ardbeg have said it is heady, intense and powerful. Tarry ropes and linseed oil rising from deep within the vortex. A collision of waxy dark chocolate, warm black currants, and muscovado sugar pull you under its spell with a burst of plump cherries and earthy pine needles leaping from mm. its depths. From salty seasoning comes a briny character with a tangy crisp seaweed and smoky bacon swirling on the surface with hints of sweet vanilla, spicy cloves, and blueberries. Heady force of menthol, treacle, and chili sauce. You know, the only one that 
in that description jumped out at me and I said, ah, yeah, that's what, like, the pine needles. Yeah, when you that's said earthy. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't picked that until you said it. And then on the palate, they say, plunge into the whirlpool and torrents of taste well up on the palate. Deep, peppery and chewy bombarding the tongue. The first plunge brings forth the chewy peppered steak soaked in pepper sauce with the tang of crispy seaweed. As you descend deeper, encounter a mouthful of black, tarry espresso coffee that coats the palate with rich, melted, dark fruits, blackcurrants, blueberries and cherries, and bitter almonds. As the taste soaks in deeper, star anise and hickory dry out the palate before a surprise of chalky, effervescent violets fizz to the surface. You know, as you're reading that, I'm picturing the person that is reading that description and just being like, yeah, that's a piece of me. I can see him. I can see him. Someone reading that that description is being like, that sounds like a piece of me. It's pretty good. It's a pretty, it's a, it's a mouthful, uh, the description, but uh, I think it, it paints the picture reasonably well. And I love don't it. think we got that many of those notes, but kind it, of sells the experience, doesn't I it? I feel like it kind of sells it in a way of just being like, oh, taste. They could have just done a list and been like pepper, seaweed, tari espresso. But it's not the same as describing that journey and how, how the flavors might unfold to you as well. It yeah. really it really gives the customer a perspective of like what, what they're in for rather than just, oh, yeah, okay, these are the notes. One thing I quite like that they've done here that it just – it's probably a calculated decision, but I didn't hear the word smoky used at all. Just because, I mean, smoky, like, what, 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 is, what does that mean? You know, it's an Isla whiskey, it's got peat smoke in it, but just to say something as smoky is like, yeah, okay, what? But that's something consistently that Ardbeg do really, really well. They're, like, famed for their, their, their peat smoky whiskies. Mm, mm. But what's the point in describing what they do is just smoke? That's such a downplay of the flavour profile that they're creating. Yeah. They really dive into, well, what are the compounds of smoke? Yeah. And that, that's something we're going to touch on later. But Ardbeg just... I, that's why I love them so much is because they do just explain that so well. I suppose this is quite a fitting whiskey uh, to talk about with, with the sort of idea that we've got for today's topic because we're going to talk a little bit about peat smoke and we're going to kind of take a little bit of a deep dive into, as I've mentioned, not just what is peat smoke but kind of why is it used and how does it add a layer of complexity to whiskies such as this one. Now, this was uh, Nikki's brainchild. I went to Nikki last week and said, look, I want you to come up with the theme for this week's episode. This was the first one that came to mind for you, and there's a very good reason for that. Now, um, Nikki probably won't say this herself, so I'll say it on your behalf, but you've got quite a lot of experience in and around whiskey. Nikki has worked in That's the subjective. whiskey industry um, for an extended period of time. You're obviously a whiskey drinker uh, this summer. Um, for a brief period of time, you worked in a whiskey bar here in Nelson. And when you were on the front line of serving customers, right, you're hearing all kinds of questions coming to you from all directions about whiskey and what is it and how is it and why is it. One that really stood out to you was on the topic of peat, wasn't it? Yeah. Pete is, Pete is quite misunderstood from the the foundations of how is it used in the production process mm -hmm. to the flavor profiles that it creates. It's one that kind of like, it was the only thing that sort of shocked me when I started working in the whiskey bar, because from my perspective, I was like, you know, going through an entry level drinker to drinking a lot more and getting involved on a business level on it as well. I always thought it was quite obvious, but then when I was working in the whiskey bar, I was 
getting a lot more questions in and around like how is peat actually used in the production process and you know people were asking at what point is it added like someone once once asked me if it was added into the stills and that seems ridiculous when you come at it from that kind of more in-depth knowledge level but that that is a really valuable question That's an absolutely you fair know? assumption of it's course it's so think, confusing yeah. um so I think, and I think because Pete is so divisive as well, and that from a consumer level perspective, people are either like, oh, I don't like Pete, and just write off every distillery that produces Pete whiskies, yeah. or write off every peated whiskey. And it's like, well, actually, the flavor profiles of peated whiskies are dramatically different. And I think once you can kind of get over that stigma of peat and it just being like, oh, I don't really like smoke, so I don't like mm. that. I wonder if it's also a little bit like our experience with, uh, just to jump from grain to grape for a minute, with Chardonnay. Chardonnay is one of those grapes that is also quite divisive because mm. of the use of you know oak barrels and things like that. And I remember growing up always hearing that, oh, no, Chardonnay tastes like cat wheeze. Don't drink Chardonnay. Chardonnay's shite. And just taking that on board and being That's like, That's such oh, okay. a global thing as well. Because yeah, I yeah. remember like even at home and loads of my friends in Scotland would have been like, it tastes like cat piss. Yeah, or like what's the red equivalent, Merlot, because of that movie, what was it, Sideways or whatever it's called? It was like anything oh, about fucking Merlot. Like there's, you know, there's grapes that you just hear like, oh, don't know, don't drink Chardonnay. It's, anything it's pish. Chardonnay. That's right, that whole acronym, ABC, ABC anything yeah. but Chardonnay. But then actually we tried it and we're like, well, this is delightful. I love Chardonnay. And I wonder I if Pete Chardonnay. smokes the same. Someone here is like, oh, no, 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 Pete, unless you smoke a pack a day, you're probably not going to like Pete's smoke. So people just don't touch it because that's so the medicinal. perception. It's so medicinal. It's like, oh. But actually, it, it can be, as you say, quite complex and bloody delightful. So I suppose if we just kind of take it a, uh, a step back, we've said, you know, it, it is a divisive flavour. But from an appreciation point, certainly worth its merit, to go back to the top level, what actually is peat? Peat is essentially the decomposed remains of grasses, reeds, mm -hmm. trees, kind of just like natural matter from the environment. Organic matter. That has been compressed over centuries in like waterlogged, oxygen-starved conditions which are called bogs, so peat bogs, mm -hmm. usually in colder climates of countries located at a higher latitude. So somewhere like Scotland, yeah. for example, in perfect, particular perfect the west it. coast of Scotland. Yeah. And you're used to hearing sort of um, the narrative around whiskey being like, you know, it's it's worth the wait. It's such a long, a long lead time on the production of that. Well, if you add peat into that equation as well, it's even longer because peat might take somewhere around up to like 300 years to form. Mm. And people have been burning dried peat for centuries, like as a fuel source for heating and cooking. And a lot of people say that's where the peat's use in whiskey might have started because regions like Isla, for example, which have an abundance of peat just naturally occurring. Yeah. It makes sense for them to use that as a fuel source. What's well, there, right? Well, exactly. They've got it there readily available, far more than dried wood, for example, especially mm. if things are so wet. Of course. I don't know if this is actually true, but I've heard Pete described to me as basically a young form of coal. Yeah. Not as deep in the earth, not as kind of compacted and, and compressed yeah. and made into that, the, what coal effectively is, but it burns the kind of same way and, and is the earlier stage of that process. As far as you know, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Completely. For example, the west coast of Ireland, there's a lot of peat readily available there as well. Mm. And 
anytime I've been on holidays there and all that kind of thing, you all the pubs always use it. They burn it in their fires and it's just that smell that just like evokes kind of like a sense of nostalgia. Yeah. But it's that smell and kind of that flavour profile that then is revealed through like peated whiskies. Yeah, and I want to just talk on the the flavour side of things before we move on because like we may have someone listening that uh, has never tried a peated whisky before and they're thinking, look, you've just given me 10, 12 minutes of describing this Ardbeg Corrie Vrecken in kind of no, no uncertain terms. You know, you're picking all these different flavours. Which ones are actually the peat flavour? Mm. What, what flavour is the peat putting onto this bottle of whisky? And I suppose to any entry-level drinker, and this is absolutely the right term to use, I know Ardbeg have kind of shied away from it in their description of it, because what does it really mean to a whiskey drinker? But to someone that's starting off, the word to use is absolutely smoky. Is that correct? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like when you're first trying a peated whiskey, you are going to walk away from it and be like, yeah, it, it tastes like smoke. Tastes like I've had a drag or something. Absolutely. Which is not incorrect you're not at wrong. all. But I suppose to go a layer deeper than that, what does smoke actually taste like? And to use a, a real world example that I'm sure most people would relate to, if you think about cooking a barbecue, and it doesn't matter whether you're having meat off the barbecue, cheese, vegetables, whatever, cooking anything on a gas-fired barbecue is going to give you a completely different flavor profile to cooking it over a charcoal barbecue or cooking it over a barbecue made of a campfire on the beach, right? Just a wood-fired barbecue. Each of those is going to put a completely different flavor onto it. Uh, Or something even perhaps like a marshmallow, right? You know, you think about turning a marshmallow over a campfire, gives you that really smoky kind of delicious flavor that's just quintessentially a roasted marshmallow. No one really wants to do that over a gas barbecue, do they? Because the flavor's less desirable. You wouldn't do it over a candle. That's right. Just thinking about the different ways that smoke can be used to impart flavor on food, it can do absolutely the same thing with whiskey. Which I guess leads us into quite nicely, how is peat added to the process? And so that analogy you've just made about food is the exact process of how it's imparted on whiskey. Mm. And I think it's it's kind of keeping that process in mind that removes a little bit of the confusion. Because I had like when I was in the bar, like a few questions from people being like, you know, is... Is it strained with the with the spirit right at the end, mm. or like is it added in during the still? And people have these horrible images of like dirty whiskey with like peat floating through it. <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> how it's done. But again, totally fair questions, and that kind of is why I was so intrigued by it because it sort of opened my mind to ah, right, okay, it's not actually super clear mm. on like an entry level consumer level how it's done. So to start off, like we've gone through what peat is and that like naturally occurring organic material that's oxygen starved, that is dug out of the earth. Mm. So it used to be done by hand with a spade. Some distilleries still use this method, but obviously it's exceedingly time consuming and not really... Not really that cost it's a, it's a real specialist trade too. Like you've got a certain way of knowing which bogs are ready to be cut. Like they've got someone that cuts it out in like this big slab. Are you like, doing it vertically or horizontally? Like right, there's a yeah. whole other level of geekery that you can get into. But essentially this these peat bogs are farmed. So they it is dug out of the earth and then it is bur- dried and burned. 
and it is used during only one stage of the whiskey making process, mm. which is the kilning of the malt. So that is, it is used to fuel the fire that dries out this malt. And basically malting promotes the germination of the barley, which converts the energy packed inside the grain, making it ready for fermentation to transfer into ethanol. Mm. So at this point, you can consider the peat basically to form strands of flavour on the malt in different proportions during that burning stage. So if you think about how you look at a candle when it's burnt, mm. you look at it on the surface level and you just see a little flame. But then when you start looking into that flame further, you can see the white hot part, you can see the yellow hot part, you can see the orange hot part. And basically when you think about peat in those terms, each of those different sections contains different flavour compounds. And you, if you think about those flavour compounds attaching to the, the malt in different ways and the composition of this peat basically dictates how it attaches. So what that peat is made up of in terms of what plant life once grew to become that peat, that also imparts different flavours. Mm. So it's really adding a massive other layer of complexity, right? Like whiskey's a drink that's already hugely complex in nature. Like you've taken all of the environmental conditions with the grain and, and you know, the, the distilling and everything, put it in a cask that, you know, the, depending on the wood or the finish of that cask is going to impact the flavour as well. Now, when you're talking about adding in an organic material that's been in the ground for Several hundred years, yeah. possibly made of wood, possibly made of uh, of grasses, grasses, possibly made of reeds. That's going to carry a completely different flavour as well. It's just adding, again, an extra layer of complexity, which I suppose why people, connoisseurs, experts, critics have come to love the flavour of peat and whiskey so much, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I love it from a point of not looking at it like, yes, peat is just dirt in the earth. It's a much there's much more of an opportunity to be told, mm. like a story to be told about peat that yeah. even now I don't think enough distilleries are going on. Like I feel like there's a huge opportunity to talk about the land and the people and the processes and like what has happened there that influence the peat in massive ways that also influences then the flavour of the whiskey that just isn't coming across. Yeah, definitely. So again, at the top level... We're talking about taking a matter out of the ground. We're using that to fuel a fire, and mm -hmm. that fire is going to dry out the barley, and obviously the smoke is going to kind of marry itself to the barley. I suppose it's kind of, from a molecular level, I'm guessing, like the barley has like, I can't think of the right word, but pores or something that open up, the smoke gets in and sort of traps itself in. Once the, pe once the peat smoke is in, you can't really get it out, yeah. can you? Nor, nor would you want to, because that's now a whole nother level of flavour imparted on that grain. Yeah. Then from there, we're making the whiskey as normal, right? And that, yeah. that smoky flavour is just going to carry itself through, through the process beautifully. Yeah. And that's sort of the basic level of it. Yeah, completely. So <laughs> I'm hesitant to ask, but if we were going to take an even deeper dive into it kind of chemically... What can you say about that? So this is where, yeah, it gets it gets quite complicated. And to truly understand Pete's flavour depths and kind of the, the complexity that it can give onto the whiskey, it is a little bit of a chemistry lesson. Mm -hmm. And I am no chemist, so I'm just going to caveat that up at the beginning. But this is my understanding. And this is kind of where like my appreciation for Pete has come from. The flavour comes from the 
distribution of phenolic compounds. So there's three main phenolic compounds, mm -hmm. and those are called phenols, guaiacols, and syringols. By butcher pronunciation, there, please don't come for me. I wouldn't know, so carry on. Uh, let's just blame the accent. But they are responsible for the peat smoke influence on whiskey. Basically, each of those three phenolic compounds are mm. responsible for different kind of flavor profiles. So, for example, phenols produce an antiseptic kind of medicinal note mm. that are kind of um, notorious within um, peated whiskey. And guaiacals give savory, woody aromas. And then the syringals bring that sweet or spicy vanilla. So mainland Scottish blanket bogs, for example, are formed more from trees. This is like we were talking about, depending mm, on mm. the organic matter that went into the peat, this will influence the flavour. So they're formed more so from trees. So produce a greater guacal to phenol ratio when burnt compared with peat lifted on Isla. It just harps back to you have to understand the story of the peat to understand the impact it's going to have on the flavour. It's got so many more moving parts than yeah. just traditional whiskey, which already has a lot of freaking yeah. moving parts. And that's when you're just thinking about the peat in isolation. And then when you think about that peat in isolation taken and going through different production processes mm. that each distillery mm. will, it kind of leads you to understand why there's like nine, almost ten distilleries on Isla. Yeah. That all tastes so dramatically much. different. Mm. Yeah. And the the good part, I suppose, for someone listening and maybe struggling to take this all in like I am, mind I'm a, a pretty heavy pour of Ardbegin at this point, but uh, you don't need to know that to appreciate peated whiskey, do you? Like That's brilliant knowledge to have. It's good to understand the process. However, there is certain terminology within peated whiskey that can be quite helpful right and one of those words you picked out in your description there was phenols yeah and that is one that does play quite a bit into the description of a lot of peated whiskey yeah so once you start diving into the kind of peated whiskey world ppm is a common acronym that you're going to come across mm, and you come across a lot of acronyms already in whiskey you know you got oh, your God, abv yeah. nas blah, blah 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 yeah ppm is one specific to peated whiskey that is definitely worth knowing because what the PPM is can dramatically impact your experience with a different whiskey. So PPM basically means phenol parts per million. And the PPM is basically a measurement that is used to kind of dictate the malting specifications required by the distiller. Mm -hmm. So a distiller can say what kind of level of PPM they require for their malt. Is Ardbeg like... I think their standard, Ardbeg's standard requirement for PPM is like 55, but you can you can specify it to whatever you might require. Yeah, so again, the parts per million is effectively how many of the phenol sort of flavour compounds make their way into the barley, right? Yeah. And that's not necessarily to say that's how the end result's going to turn out because there's obviously a lot more factors that go into it before that product's bottled and put onto a shelf. Mm -hmm. But at that first stage, it can give you a, a pretty good look at how it could turn out. So I suppose a couple of real-world examples of that. You mentioned the Arbeg, you know, normally they look for around that 55 phenol parts per million, possibly more, possibly less. It doesn't really matter. One that we've tried and bloody love is uh, Octomore, 
which is a whiskey from Brickladdie, and they sort of build themselves as the world's most heavily peated whiskey. And I've had whiskies from them that have gone from sort of 200 parts per million to up to sort of 300, 300 plus parts per million. And that's extremely peated whiskey. So there's a sort of workable range within that. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, completely. And people that have heard of peat before, they may not have necessarily heard it in the context of whiskey. They might have heard about this from a sort of environmental point of view do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah so obviously peat and the environment is quite a contentious topic touchy topic yeah um from the point that so a healthy peat bog is important for carbon stores and many habitats have protected status around their their peat bogs and their peat removal and that kind of thing because basically when you farm peat so when you dig that peat out of the ground yeah. it releases that carbon dioxide store that is naturally occurring not, not even it. at the point you're burning it just yeah. the point that you take it out Harvest of the earth it. Yeah. yeah before even burning it you are impacting the co2 levels mm. in that area and then obviously when you burn it you are increasing that conversion even more and increasing the carbon dioxide release yeah in saying that it is just exploration at this point and it's not necessarily the area of highest priorities for um distilleries to be cutting back on their co2 emissions oh yeah um so there's lots of other areas they are are working on and will continue to work on um and peat smoking is is in that remit mm, mm. and it's certainly not, it's not like the demand for it's going to go anywhere like there's obviously yeah. a huge market for peat smoke and there will continue to be because a lot of people love it they just got to find a way to do it sustainably don't they yeah so talking a bit about peat smoke might be some people listening to this and thinking you know what actually you've bloody sold me on all of these chemical words and things i would quite like to give that a go for myself now, there's a couple of different ways that you can introduce yourself to peat smoke if you are new to trying that style of whiskey. There's the the gentle way, which is trying a whiskey which is lightly peat smoked, so presumably has quite a low phenol parts per million. Or you can just bloody rip the bandit off, jump in at the deep end and try something that's really going to absolutely blow your head off. A couple of examples that we've plucked out of whiskies that we've tried that from both sides of, of, that, of that fence there um, that we think would possibly be worth a go if you're new to it. Um, first one I thought was one that we tried a year and a half ago. I uh, got a bottle of this from Tesco's, so it's just available off the supermarket shelf in the UK. It's Alta Vane, spelled quite uh, interestingly, A-L-L-T-A-B-H-A-I-N-N-E. Alta Vane whiskey is it's a Speyside, not normally a region known for producing peated whiskies, but these guys, they've mixed that kind of sweet, honey, heathery kind of note of Speyside whiskey and put just a little bit of peat in there, and it actually marries together quite well. So it's one I think worth trying as an entry-level whiskey. Yeah, it's a nice one. One I kind of find is, is nice for a bit more of a, an introduction into peat is um, Oban, 14-year-old specifically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Oban is a bit of a classic example of like a West Highland distillery and they have flavor profiles kind of, when I say that, they have an influence of a Highland and a little bit of an Island influence there as well with the light peat. So you've got that sort of stereotypical nutty, spicy influence from the Highland, but Mm. then you do have that kind of salty, saline, peaty kind of overtone from uh, Isla 
which I think it's re- it's really gentle. It's it's a really nice example. I it's think. a lovely drop too. And for, if memory serves me correctly, they kind of build themselves as a, a gateway to sort of peated whiskey. Well, as well open so. in general is a gateway to you know to the inner Hebrides as well. Most so definitely. it's it's I think open's a very underrated distillery to be mm. honest. Oh, they're I really d- enjoy doing it. some dynamite stuff. Another one that I think is worth giving a go, one we tried just this week, was uh, Isle of Rasse, their first uh, whiskey, first, sorry, legal whiskey release. Um, re- they build themselves as a lightly peated whiskey, and I think it does just that. Like, it's got some beautiful flavors to it, and it's got that just whisper of peat smoke on the top as well. So, also, entry-level price, entry-level whiskey, probably one worth giving a go if you're wanting to sort of delve into that world slightly. It's the- a bit of a gorge example as well of, like, peated and unpeated mixing and how that can um, manifest. Oh, for sure. That's, yeah, I think it's really nice. Yeah, probably a topic for another episode because they're doing some interesting stuff there. Now, the other end of the spectrum is heavily peated whiskies. Look, if you just want to be like, look, I want to know fully what this flavor is about, give it to me hard. Uh, a couple of examples of that. Anything from Ardbeg probably would do, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Ugadal's a little bit of a softer softer Ardbeg whiskey mm-hmm. if you want to start a little bit more temperate, but I mean, I think Ardbeg's where I started, so just go for it. If yeah. you know that you like that that kind of s- smoky influence in terms of like smoky food or smoky cheese, or even if you're into cigars or anything like that, mm. just go for it. You can't really go wrong with anything from Isla, right? Because th- there's clearly a market for each of those distilleries. If there wasn't, they wouldn't exist anymore. But anything from Isla is going to introduce you to peat smoke in some way or another. The only exception being um, Brickladdy, because yeah. they famously do unpeated whiskey but a couple of their releases within Brickladdy probably worth trying Port Charlotte is one that uh, I quite enjoy they build that as a heavily peated whiskey mm. or as mentioned before uh, the most heavily peated whiskey is the Octomore lineup and that changes year on year right because depending on which uh, you know what, what barley they get or what barley they specifically buy sometimes it'll be sort of low 200s in the parts per million sometimes mm. it's in the 300s and depending on what that is completely changes the uh, the makeup of it. Some that I've had, the first time I tried one, I vividly remember trying it, got, getting the flavours, but then it was that breath in afterwards, like really, and when I say blew my head off, like it did have that effect where it's just you feel it explode in your olfactory region, I suppose is the correct <laughs> terminology for it, but you, you feel suddenly like, you've, oh, I just took a big puff on a cigar. Do you have the same experience when you first had it? Yeah, I loved it. It just blew my mind. And I think for me, the Octomore experience is that like when you have it on the nose, it doesn't necessarily scream peat. Mm. And I think that was that was the crazy bit. But it was when I was at the distillery, what they told me to do was um, take the whiskey, put it in your hands, rub, rub your, your hands, hands together. together yeah. And then it's that reaction and that friction. And then when you smell it, it's like, oh, shit, here's yeah. the pee. It really like, opens up. That was when kind of the chemistry side of whiskey sort of like got me interested. Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting area within whiskey. And I think if you sort of get into the geeky level of detail that we do and that we love about this industry so much, it just adds yet another layer of complexity onto it. But I hope that today's episode has taken uh, taken a wee bit of that complexity and broken it down into some more kind of palatable terms if you're someone that 
doesn't drink peated whiskey or maybe you have tried it but didn't necessarily like it maybe it's given you a little bit more of an interest in it maybe it's piqued your interest to the point that you want to give some of those uh, entry level ones that we just suggested uh, maybe a trial or if you're someone that does like a peated whiskey or maybe even loves a peated whiskey I hope that it's given you a little bit more of a, an understanding of this topic and will hopefully translate into a newfound appreciation for peated whiskey what it is why it is and how peter whiskey fits into that process time now for our booze and brews news this is the part of the show where nikki gives us the lowdown on the news from the week that was what's making headlines this week so this week Diageo kicked off its 185 million pound investment into Scottish tourism mm-hmm. with the opening of the Singleton Distillery at Glenort. And this comes ahead of further openings planned this year of the Talisker Distillery on Skye and Kalila on Isla. And at Glenord, visitors can take a 90-minute tour of the distillery to learn about the production process behind the Singleton liquids. And they also offer driver's drams. Oh, big fan of that. I don't want to like, I don't want to like shit on any whiskey distilleries, but I'm going to do it right here. The Macallan, one of the worst experiences I've had at a distillery, not because of the distillery itself, right? But you pay for the tour, which I think in the Macallan's like 45 quid or something. It's quite expensive. You get to the end, they offer you your whiskies to try, right? A little a little whisper of each in the glass. And I was driving. I was by myself. Couldn't drink. Well, shouldn't have drunk, right? So I said, oh, no, actually, I'm driving. No, it's fine. You can get driver's dreams. Had to pay an extra 10 quid for That's it. That's ridiculous. I was Fucking fuming. So glad to see they're offering them at the Singleton. Yeah, so a step in the right direction. Um, There is also a bar, social and tasting spaces, serving whiskey, cocktails and more. And a deli counter with uh, some local suppliers from a bad girl bakery. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is also a retail section, which will sell a number of distillery exclusive editions, obviously. <laughs> which, what, what does that mean? You know, a number of distillery exclusive items. Okay, <laughs> where else are you going to get these? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Always seeing an opportunity is Diageo. Goan drinkers see fene prices spike in India. And Goa's heritage brew, uh, Fene, has seen its cost rising after being hit by alcohol inflation following erratic weather that has affected the crops. Mm. So Fene is a drink made from cashews and it is a state heritage drink of Goa. So stakeholders are concerned that these price hikes may lead to some people making their own unregulated and illegal versions of the drink and passing them off as lower cost fene, which kind of made me think yeah, I'm like, oh, is familiar, this nodding it? back to the days of illicit distilling in uh, Scotland and Ireland? I would be quite keen to try that. I've never I would heard of love fene. to try it, to be honest. Sounds bloody tasty. So a cask of Scotch whiskey this week has brought the new record for a private sale at £16 million. This is known only as cask number three, the whiskey was produced by Ardbeg Distillery, hey. and each of the 88 bottles were priced at about $36,000, not dollars, pounds, <laughs> pounds. <laughs> been in New Zealand too long, and will be drawn f- from the cask for each of the next five years and delivered to the buyer. Okay, so hold up. So they've bought 
16 million pound cast, but they're going to get it bottle by bottle. Yes. Right. So Charles McLean, who's a notable whiskey writer and expert, has described this as a remarkable piece of liquid history. Yeah, I suppose that's putting it quite lightly, isn't it? Some extra headlines that we had this week are um, a whiskey company aims to decrease invasive population with green crab infused whiskey. I read a bit about this one. What was the name of it? Was it Crab Snatcher or Crab something or other? So what they're doing is they're taking green crabs, which are an invasive type of crab from somewhere in the States, I honestly cannot remember, uh, and they are basically just boiling them, making a crab water, and then using that as part of the process. I don't know how I feel about it. It's a little bit like the hot dog water story from last week. It sounds horrible. Look, if it's delicious, carry on. No, it sounds horrible. It's not. It's not for me. Captain Morgan has also collaborated with uh, Vita Coco this week to launch an RTD with rum and coconut water. Kind of hard to think about being in the middle of winter here, but that in the summertime, I can imagine, would be quite delightful. I'm not a fan of coconut water, I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's that it's kind of cloudy, it freaks me out. <laughs> like, what are you hiding? But is it delicious? That's going to be the main well, thing. Well, I'd have to try it. And finally, Brewdog Boss <laughs> has said that unconfirmed autism diagnosis may be behind the bullying allegations for right. him. I thought this story had pretty much gone away. Now, if you're not familiar with this, this has been going on for, what, fucking years now. And this is Brewdog owner James Watt. Yes, Hopefully I've got the name right there. Been bullying claims going on at Brewdog, which is a Scottish um, beer brewer. It's been going on for fucking years now. And now he's saying, what, that he potentially has autism and that's where all of the issues have stemmed from? I honestly feel like he just needs to apologise and move on. That seems like that would be the smarter thing to do at this point Appoint a new head of HR, implement some new processes and move on. That sounds like that's far overdue. A couple of years overdue, I would say. Thank you very much, Nikki, for the booze and brews news for this week. Moving on to our question for the week now. After the uh, resounding no, that was last week's question. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more love for this one here. The question is quite simply, peated whiskey, yes or no? Now, there's going to be a two-part to this question here. That one's going to be the first one. Are you a fan of peated whiskey? The follow-up question is, what is your favourite peated whiskey? We want to hear them, and if you want to share them, jump up on our Instagram channel, at Sips with the Tips. Give us a follow and share your thoughts for the question later on this week. Yep, that's the last call bell for episode four of Sips with the Tips. And before we wrap up today's show, I do just once again want to say an enormous thank you to you, the listener, for joining us for today's episode discussing a bit more about peat smoke. What is peat smoke? Who is peat smoke? And why is peat smoke a part of the whiskey making process? An incredibly complex uh, area to get into, but I do hope that we've broken it down a little bit more and given you perhaps a newfound appreciation for an area of whiskey making that we bloody love. Today's show is brought to you by cooking a marshmallow over a campfire to the point that the outer layer is burnt to a crisp. So burnt that you can pull it off, eat it, and then burn it again. (laughs) 
Sips with the Tips is written, recorded and produced by us. Theme music by all good folks via upbeat.io. Keep in contact at our website, sipswiththetips.com or through our Instagram at sipswiththetips. And as always, sip sensibly, savour the sip and we'll see you next Sunday. Sunday.